Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. Today, I'm joined once again by Joey Cassio, one of the extremely rare, exceptional American coaches. He wanted us to discuss what are likely the two most critical components to player development, namely, one, the parent, family, slash household influence, and two, the structured club team influence. This led us to chat about a variety of touch points, from proper mentorship to the bullshit youth soccer league cast system, why this cast system exists in the first place, and things to consider when deciding where to play and when. Also, why is raw athleticism far more heavily weighted in the United States versus in the rest of the world? The other related thing that makes an appearance in this episode is the U.S. women's national team. Now, keep in mind, this episode was recorded after the women had played the first two games, one versus Vietnam and the other against Holland. And we discuss, or rather, I went on an epic rant on how I saw the state of the women's program and the reality of its totally misunderstood history. I'll put it to you this way. It is in no way surprising the women ended up having their worst World Cup performance in history. The reality of what the U.S. women's game is was clear even from the 90s. That is, if you know football and you know what you're watching. I hope you enjoy and gain insights that you will definitely not get in the mainstream. But first, please take a moment to also gain some insight from the ads. Yes, insight, learning from the actual ads that make this podcast possible. Whether you are a coach or a parent of a player, the following are products that will absolutely help you improve your situation in the American soccer ecosystem. Here's the first one. Have you ever wondered why so many professional soccer players had a parent who was also a pro? Yes, yes. One can cite nepotism and the network that parent must also have. No question that's part of it. No question. But the kid also had to be at least good enough to a certain base level. And that's also where a former pro or an exceptional mentor gives the kid an unfair advantage. Why? Well, because they know what it takes and what specific things are important when it comes to the technical, tactical, physical, and also critically important mental side of the equation. Meanwhile, parents who don't have that background are stuck trying to navigate a complex system they aren't experts in and also trying to navigate a flood of never-ending information online, most of which, by the way, is really bad information and really bad advice. Next thing you know, years and years have gone by of you investing countless hours trying to figure out what's actually going on and how to best guide your kid. And by the time you figured out some important things, it's too late. Your kid is already pretty much done with soccer or too far behind to catch up. We've seen it happen to hundreds of players we've coached from eight years of age up to and including current professionals. Parents, you have a huge influence over whether your kid, quote unquote, fulfills their potential or not. That's why we developed the 343 Masterclass for you, the parents. The goal is to give you tools in one place so that you can substantially and relatively quickly close the gap with those parents who happen to have a lifetime of professional experience within this sport. Tools that help you far better discern truth, and forgive the French, from bullshit 
in the player development ecosystem and tools that enable you to actually train your own kid as well, if you'd like to do that. Please do your kids a favor. All it takes is going to 343masterclass.com, getting on the email list, and we'll send you enrollment information. Now, for all you coaches out there, you can join over 1,000 of your colleagues by getting aboard the 343 Coaching Education Program. You can find both free and premium options for you at 343coaching.com. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players, are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, let's get into today's episode. For today, Gary, I was just thinking there's that article that you published years ago about the sort of five component to youth player development. So I thought maybe we could dive a little bit deeper into maybe not all of them. I mean, they're, they're all kind of interlinked in some way, but maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into some of them. I don't know about you, but my thoughts regarding those things, I think the five components that you published, it's all still true today, but maybe the things having to do with all of them at least for me, my thoughts around them evolve over time. And I know we've had conversations about sort of the unique situation that players are in here in America and trying to navigate or trying to figure out the right balance of all these components to put themselves in a good position to make the most of their potential as a young player. The two that I feel are the most important, I think number one is the family and the household, because the reality is the family or the household, they guide the player. So their influence over the player's path, so important. And that's probably the most important component of all of it, because that affects all the other components, the decision-making around all the other components that are involved. And then for me, the second most important is the team environment, because I think so much influence can come from the team environment. If you're in an environment where you know, it's enjoyable. The coach is pushing you, the coach is inspiring you to go and do the other things, you know, ball in a wall, try to find pickup games, personal training, you know, a lot of that can come from the team environment. So I thought maybe we could maybe dive a little bit deeper into those two components. Okay. It sounds great for the audience sake. So the five components that you're referencing as the way I kind of labeled them is the structured club training influence. So this is the team training environment that you mentioned. Number two, the household parent family influence, which is the second, which is the main one that you said um, is probably the most influential one. So is what's, what's the player's home environment like? Number three, the playing on your own influence. Number four, the pickup game influence. And number five, the personal training influence. And I'm kind of, a, I'm in line with you Joey, it's the, the household parent family influences, man, if I had to weigh them, I'd say that is the number one. I would say that is absolutely the number one, which is, again, I don't want to do a plug, but it's just convenient, right? That is why we've been developing the 343 masterclass for so long for parents, because they are the king and queen governing their kids. And most of the flow of information, most of the programming that kids are getting are from the king and queen and their brothers and sisters and what's happening in the household. So that is step one. And if that's kind of off kilt, 
then when they come to the team training environment, which is where you and other coaches obviously operate, you're already fighting either an uphill battle or you're like the wind is at your back and you can do amazing work and the kid is going to benefit in an amazing way as well. So I think you've got it right, dude. I don't know if you wanted to kick us off with some very specific thoughts that you might have and where you were going with that. Well, I think with the, the family in the household, right? Everybody's situation is a little bit different. There's families where they, you know, the parents maybe have some sort of experience playing in soccer in America. They've gone through it a little bit. So they kind of have an idea of how to navigate and maneuver through. But then there's also those who have zero experience. And then, you know, if a family has multiple kids, you know, with the first kid, they don't really know if they have no playing experience or no other experience. So with the first kid, they're, they're learning, they're trying to figure it out. And then if the second kid comes along, they have a little bit more experience. So everybody is at a different place when they're trying to put their kid through youth soccer in America. But I think it's important, and I know you've brought this up, that the family and the player, they find a mentor. They find somebody who they can get good information from, learn from, so that they have a better idea of what they need to do to help their son or daughter out. In any other field for me, I know nothing. And even with soccer, I consider you a mentor. And I remember along the way, early on, it's like, okay, I want to find somebody who knows what they're doing. And you're trying to observe and find that person, okay, who looks like they know what they're doing. So for a family or parents, you find that person who's exhibited that they know what they're doing in this field. They've hopefully displayed a level of excellence. And then, yeah, you, you observe from a distance. Maybe you can get close in person, have conversation, watch content, watch games, watch training sessions, and just follow that person's work so that you have a better idea of what is a good level or training environment or team here in American youth soccer. Yeah, I agree. But the challenge here, Joey, and you know it very well, maybe we can unpack this a little bit more, is how do they find a mentor? You know, how do you decipher and discern and filter through all of the noise in real life and all of the noise that exists in online digital life? Because as far as I've seen in all these years, everybody positions themselves as knowing what they're doing. And we're kind of no exception. Like, I think I know a few things and you think you know a few things. And so do all of your other colleagues and whether it be a coaching colleague or, or any other position in the soccer ecosystem, everybody thinks that they know, quote unquote, know. And so they present themselves and position themselves as such in real life when they might be engaging with a parent or a family one-on-one -on -one, and in digital life when they're posting on Instagram or Twitter or doing a YouTube channel or writing articles or doing a podcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been one of the focuses I've been on for the past several years is how do we give parents tools without, you know, teach them the fish sort of thing. How do we give them tools for them to then take into the real world and digital world and say, okay, let me find a mentor and be able to say, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, without us kind of saying, hey, raising our hands and say, we're your mentor and talk to us only. But it's kind of um, a meta thing because if we are the ones supplying the tools, Joey, clearly we're, <laughs> we're positioning ourselves as their mentors. And how can a parent or family actually know that they should be using our lessons and our tools to go out into the world and operate? 
You know, so it's a very difficult problem. And the only thing I've kind of converged on through my experiences outside of soccer as well, we can, uh, we'll get detailed in soccer for sure, is what you mentioned. And we can dive a little deeper there is number one, does the person operate in this space? I mean, that should be obvious already. Do, yeah. like, if, if you want to, if you want a mentor who is a coach of soccer, I hope you are going and looking at coaches of soccer and trying to find one there instead of a sports broadcaster or a journalist or an opinion guy online. I hope we can all agree that that should be filter number one. And then, okay, you're in the space of coaches talking. Great. Are these coaches in the United States or are they overseas? Now it gets a little bit tricky because if you're in the U United States, one can argue with some merit and some not so good conclusions that, well, they have experience in the American soccer ecosystem. Yeah. So, and all the limitations and benefits that come from that benefits could be well manicured fields, perhaps more resources, depending on the club they're operating at, uh, you know, the negative side of things is the limitations. You're probably only training twice a week. Maybe you have some kids that aren't as interested as overseas kids. Clearly, you probably don't work for a club that has a professional team in the first division or second division or third division. And so the incentives of the club that this coach is at is different than an overseas coach, whereas an overseas coach is working to develop a player towards the first team, hopefully. Here in the United States, you're not necessarily doing that. By far, what you're trying to do is do the best you can, but the primary incentive is, hey, we need to keep the parents happy because they're paying customers. And if I don't keep the parents happy, then the DOC or the club is going to come down on me because the parents are going to revolt and say, I'm not getting my money's worth and go to another club. And that's a lost customer. So you see how it already gets tricky picking somebody within the US ecosystem or abroad. And the abroad guys have probably have a deep cultural, it's in the blood sort of thing when it comes to soccer. So their intuitions and their views of the game, the philosophy, the likelihood that it is better aligned with, as I like to call it, the gold standard of player development, the gold standard of football, the likelihood that they are more aligned with that is higher than some guy in America who doesn't have that in the blood necessarily, unless they're immigrants and, and it's in the family, it's in the heritage. So I know I'm going on for a long period of time and there's other filters, right? Because once you kind of choose that we can funnel down more and more and more. And maybe you can remind me to funnel down more and more and more, which, or you can do it yourself, but I want to hand over the keys to you and see where you run with it. No, I agree. I think for me, I always go back to someone who has displayed a good level within the environment that, you know, the, the player is operating in. There are big differences between here and Europe. There's so many challenges that us coaches face to just keep the process going. And while making moves to just keep the process going. We're also building a culture that uh, is pushing the players on to excellence. So that's what I always think, Gary, is when you're looking for someone, it's not so much what they say. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I think it's you find that person who displays on the field, you know, their work on the field with the players resembles a level of excellence. And then obviously experiences matter too. someone who ha has proven it, you know, if they've done it, not just once, but because I think here just once, yeah, that can happen. That can happen to anybody. Uh, but someone who's proven it multiple times with players and their teams, 
that's someone who shows, okay, this person shows a track record of being able to show consistency. So yeah, for me, it's before you start maybe listening to what they say, you see what they do. Yeah. Okay. Let me, I, I like this topic, dude. It's kind of near and dear. If I could package what you brought up, the phrase I always use is quote unquote, show your work. So does this particular coach that you're assessing and considering learning more from, do they have a team? Have they had teams in the past? Is there where they have eaten their own dog food and implemented the very things that they are now advising everybody to do? But it goes further than that because those are just little data points, like just little words on a screen, a resume sort of thing. No. Does this particular person have an extensive video library showing their actual teams where they are the actual coach of these teams executing the kind of football that they say they are capable of executing. And I mean extensive, and that goes to your consistency sort of thing, because anybody can film 30, 40, 50 games throughout the course of a year of a particular team. And if you mine those 30, 40, 50 games, you're probably going to be able to find five, six, seven, ten, some some good passing sequences throughout the course of, what is that? Fit, let's make the numbers simple. 50 games times 100 minutes per game. I'm just making round numbers, right? 5,000 minutes. You can, Of the 5,000 minutes of footage, you can probably find a good, even the worst teams in the world, a good five, 10 minutes, three minutes, two, one, one minute of something amazing maybe happening, right? And then you just pluck that one thing out and say, look, look at my team. That's a joke, right? It should be, hey, consistency, where it's like, this happens every single game, pretty much. And through large swaths of every single game's playing time in and of itself. That's why it's critical to see if said person has an extensive video library spanning multiple years, multiple months. Dem and multiple teams, hopefully as well, demonstrating something that's worthy of paying attention to. That would be a one of the biggest filters that I would suggest people really consider before relinquishing their minds to this one person, letting this one person be in their minds, which then programs you to then speak to your kids in a certain way. Which, by the way, it's very tricky because. When you're searching for somebody to learn from, or you come across somebody and you want to assess whether they're credible or not, a lot of people, especially those who don't have this extensive video evidence and never have accomplished anything, they kind of know what are the right things to say and the wrong things to say. They kind of know. And so it's not that difficult to say the right things to kind of bring people into their bubble and get attention and gain credibility. You can always go to a Man City game now, right? Or clip, make a few clips out of Man City and their passing sequences and freeze frame this and show, oh, look at Kevin De Bruyne, you know, doing a filtered pass. And this is what I teach my youth players. And this is what it should be. Oh, and by the way, the player should always be having fun and it should never be hard. You know, they don't say it should never be hard work, right? But, you, you know, they try to create this environment, this soft environment where it's all 
rainbows and unicorns and fluffy pillows and everybody's happy in the training setting and every, every equal playing time or or spread the playing time around and let the game be the best teacher and don't be yelling at the kids or giving too much instruction on the side. I mean, the list goes on and on of the quote unquote right things to say that'll captivate parents, that'll captivate the media. And it's a huge pitfall. Um that I see so many fall into. And I don't blame you for being ensnared by these folks. That's why the extensive video library thing already eliminates so much of the trash because 99% of these folks have zero to show for with respect to their work. Yeah, maybe Gary, that's another idea for, for parents to think about is because you, you go out to the fields and you're around soccer, you hear a lot of the same like buzzwords and stuff. And so maybe as a family, the household, you, you just be aware of maybe what the buzzwords are that you hear a lot of and just be skeptical or question a lot of those topics of conversation. Uh, and, and yeah, again, like you said, see it. You want to see it. It's not so show much me. hearing somebody talk about it, but yeah, show me, show me the work. It's fucking bananas, dude. Like the stuff I see online. Oh my God. And the audiences that some of these folks have, I just see them as like a group of victims. Unfortunately, yeah. I, like I feel bad. I genuinely feel bad because. I know they have kids and I just see this group following this one person or this one, whatever the, or this one organization or this one narrative. And I'm like, you're just marching your kids off a cliff and you don't even know it. Like you think you're doing what's best for your kids, obviously, and awesome. And you're doing your homework and you're trying your best. And I'm just seeing this happen, this relentless march day by day, month by month, year by year. And these guys are just, you're being led into the abyss, dude. I don't know what other yeah. words. Yeah. That, that kind of leads me into the, the topic of league, Gary. Here, here in this country, the, the league that you compete in is such a huge topic. Yeah. I think the main sort of topics that I've noticed uh, over the past, I don't know, five, six years, parents, they focus on a few things and I don't blame them. There's the league. What league is the team playing in? How much playing time is my player going to get? And are we winning? And the winning kind of goes hand in hand into the league, right? Like it's kind of linked a little bit, but those are the three things that you, a lot of the conversations are around. And as a coach, I know that when I'm speaking to parents, those are conversations that I'm probably having more so than, Hey, okay, my, maybe my son isn't getting the playing time that we want, but the roster's good. He's having to compete for a spot. There's value in that. He shows up every day. He, he's forced, he's put in a position where he has to, he has to work hard. So those are the three conversations that I have the most, or I hear the most of, and kind of going back to the league, there's these league and everybody is fighting to be a league. The, the team, the club, they're all trying to get into these leagues. And so everything's driven around leagues. We've become a competition of leagues. And I look at the media and I think it starts there because they are talking a lot about the league, the professional league. What is the best professional league here in this country? And a lot of what they're publishing and putting out is why MLS is the best league. And over time, I've noticed that that has trickled down into the youth game and it's essentially become the same thing. The youth game is all of these leagues trying to compete against each other. They're trying to market that they're the best. 
for the players. They're trying to say, oh, look at, we get this many college scouts out. Oh, and, and that's what it's become. And then the parents see all of this and their belief for the most part is that, well, if my player who has good potential is going to have a chance to have a career beyond club soccer, he or she has to be in a league of prominence to get there. And with that being the thought process, there's so much that is missed, that isn't talked about, that isn't being highlighted, that is important for the player. Yeah. What are some of those things, Joey? Well, we've had this conversation recently, Gary, here in America, I think it's, it's normal, right? The playing time thing. And if a player's not getting the playing time they want on this team, well, in a lot of cases, the parents will move them to another team to get the playing time. And what, but what does that teach the kid? And I think what's important to remember is, you know, when you want to have a career beyond club soccer, the player has to be able to cope with the coach's decision within their team environment. And those decisions could be made for a whole host of reasons. And it's not necessarily this player is better than this player. It could be something different. And the player has to be able to cope with that and still be able to show up on a daily basis with the right mindset to work and try to prove that they belong, you know, in the starting lineup or getting more minutes or whatever it is. And if a player is just jumping from place to place because they're not getting the playing time, they are missing that valuable skill set to be able to cope with those things. And then they get to that higher level and they, they can't handle it. That's just one. Got it. Now, how about from a training perspective? Because you mentioned there's so much to discuss. You mentioned that there's this, if we look at it through the lens of filters, like I mentioned before, there are these filters with respect to what league should I be in uh, for my kid? And how do you decide that? Yeah, so clearly the the credentials or the pedigree of the league come into play at that point. So there's MLS Next, there's ECNL, there's 5, 10, 20, who knows how many leagues there are nowadays. And then th there's a hierarchy that gets built in. And then you're like, okay, I have to get to this one and I have to get out of this one. That's not necessarily true because a lot of things depend on the age and level of the player and where they are currently in their development. So perhaps, yes, it's true that the higher prominence leagues, which unfortunately is how it works here in this country, Joey, where it's like you said, it's a competition between leagues instead of competition between clubs slash teams. It's a competition between leagues and that fucks everything up again because there's no promotion relegation at the pro level and it trickles down. It's all a consequence of that. But yeah, they give you a better platform later in the youth career to perhaps facilitate jumping to the next level. So if you're a 16, 17 year old or something like that, it probably makes sense to try to get into the platform that gives you the most exposure. But it's at that last mile of development for where the exposure thing really comes into play a lot more. But if you're like a 10, 11, 13 year old kid, it's probably not that important at this point. I think probably the other thing trumps the exposure asset a lot more. And those other things is what I'm trying to tease out of you is one is you, you touched on the mentality side of things is the mentality of the player going to get better in this environment or in that environment. So. What's going to determine that, Joey? Or is, is the training of this player going to be better in this environment or in that environment? So again, I'm trying to tease out what determines that. Because you could go to the quote-unquote best league, but if you're under the tutelage of a coach that is not quite as good or significantly worse than 
a coach that happens to operate in the lower league, then it's probably not a good move, right? At that point, I don't know. There, there's a discussion to be had. So that's kind of what I'm trying to tease out a little bit more from you is what should parents be considering? What should the media know, right? What should everybody in the ecosystem know when they're trying to make these decisions? What's important, especially at the younger ages, like you said, is does the coach have a vision and not just a vision, like we talked about, not just talking about the vision, but, but displaying that they are working every day within the team environment to progress that vision forward. And for me, the best team environment where the team is learning, for example, we talk about building out of the back. We're working on building out of the back, keeping possession of the ball. Do we display that we can keep possession of the ball? Do we display that we, we can attack? Do we display that the players without the ball, do they display qualities to prepare for when the ball actually arrives, they have an idea of what they want to do. Defensively, what are we doing? Okay. If let's say our identity is to press, do we show a collective organization when it comes to that? If we're defending in our own half, do we show as a collective group that we are able to do that. Those things at a young age are very important. And here in this country, we don't see a lot of good collective performance from the group. And these are important things that the kids have to learn. So it, it's important that in the team environment, that the player is learning to integrate within the team and the team with the coach's direction shows that there, yeah, there, there's a process there clearly of being able to execute a team identity and is the player understanding their role in that? And then positional qualities, are they enhancing positional qualities that maybe they've had, you know, they have some sort of foundation there, but is that increasing? Is that getting better? And then obviously the mindset thing, like you shared, these things are important for the kids to learn at a very young age. And I think when you just, you know, you, you think that you need to place the player in the league that is thought to be the best, you can skip all of that stuff. And that's, significantly harms the player's development. But you have to keep in mind that the team environment, and this is why we said this, that's probably the most important thing after the family, you know, the family's influence uh, with the player, the team environment, what the team is doing on a daily basis, what the kid is learning on a daily basis, the intensity of the training sessions, all of the things that are happening there, that is the most important thing after the influence of the household, because that's going to set the foundation for the player to then be able to make the most of their opportunity when they have the right platform. You can't skip that part. They have to, they have to develop the skill set to really attract attention when they get the platform in later years. Got it, Joey. Is that where you were going with this with respect to the league topic that it's a competition between leagues or did you have another angle also in mind? I think that that is just, it's just a focus and I've noticed over the years, you know, I follow the media, maybe not as closely as you, but I've sort of seen maybe the thought process at the youth level change over the years because of, it's been decades that we've seen the media talking about leagues and this league over that league. And yeah, with all of that being published, you know, over the years, the, the audience at the youth level consuming all of that, it's sort of changed the way things operate within the youth game and the things that people believe are important in the youth game. And we're not talking about like, okay, you know, when, when you're on this path with a youth player, what are the important things that you should be focused on? A lot of it is the league, but there's so much more. So yeah, I think that was maybe my initial thought was 
the media influence over how we view club soccer at the youth level. Yeah. And it, again, it all comes from the top. It all comes from the way that the professional leagues have been structured in this country as a monopoly, where this is the major league. They literally call it major league. And then all the other ones are minor leagues. So they create this strata and people might say, well, that's where it is everywhere in the world, Gary, there's division one, division two, II, division three, and every single country. Yes. But the leagues everywhere else in the world aren't competing with each other, right? The premier league is not competing against the English championship and vice versa. Yes. La Liga is not complete competing against La Liga two and at our, each other's throats. Right. And instead, because, because that's not what soccer, that is not what football is. Soccer football is a competition between clubs. It is not a competition between leagues. It is a competition between clubs. And so if you want to structure the game, the sport, the ecosystem in such a way that it is aligned with the very nature of competition, a competition between clubs, you don't structure it how it is here in this country. You structure it where every club is a completely independent entity and they compete on sporting metrics and sporting merit to go up and down the league structures, right? Up and down the divisions, if you will. So I have no problem with supposing, let's presume that MLS Next is the number one league. And let's suppose that ECNL is the number two league. Okay. And let's suppose that there's a third level and the fourth level, whatever the case may be. Let's suppose that Joey, but if it was open such that teams within particular clubs can earn their way up the levels. If I have, uh, Joe's crab shack FC over here, two miles from my house, who is in the fifth tier of youth soccer here. But if they have the opportunity to win their competition and then get promoted to the fourth tier, to the third tier, to ECNL, to MLS next, then it's a competition between clubs. Then it's a comp it, then it is aligned with the essence of the sport. Yes. And all the other things start falling into place. Then you don't have necessarily parents or this, this constant tension or, or battle for parents and parents always looking for the next shiny object or parents saying, Oh, I need to get my kid into the top league now ASAP, even though I have the best coach or I think he's the best coach ever. But I mean, we're operating in the second tier and there's no way for us to get to the first tier. So I have to strip my kid away from this amazing coach, for example, or this amazing organization. I have to take them out and put them, transplant them over there with new kids, new family, unknown level of unknown culture within the team or club environment, new organization. Uh, I have to drive maybe one hour and a half now instead of 20 minutes. You know, there's all these factors and it's all because we have an incorrect footballing structure associated with this. It's quite interesting. I don't follow the women's game. Yes. Brian has had two girls team way back in the day, he was able to do with them what he was able to do with all his boys teams, which is take them to the very top when they were just at the very bottom. And this is when there was promotion relegation, right? There was, there was no academy or ECNL stuff. It was the coast soccer league. And here in Southern California was the number one league in the country, right? And they had different levels within the coast soccer league. And there was promotion relegation. You got this team and you got them all promoted to the very top. And 
you know, got two girls to the University of North Carolina, the most prestigious college program there is. But aside from that, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll tangentially hear about the women's game or something. But even with my experience with Brian's teams and then just being, just tuning in with the women's national team, et cetera, I've always contended that it's worse there than on the boys' side. The coaching is worse. The development is worse. Just everything's fucking terrible. And and the women's national team, the senior national team, which obviously I followed since the, the days of Mia Hamm, that was kind of like my generation or whatever. Fucking terrible. Absolutely terrible. I mean, you didn't see them connecting and thinking and being extremely technical and all this stuff. It was worse than the men's. And here people are like, their mind is boiling. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's the most dominant, the women's national team, the women's, the most dominant thing ever. Number one in the world for generations, everybody fears us. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they were good or great relative to what it could be. It just means that you are playing against nobody and nothing. Because the reality is that the rest of the world could give two shits about women's football, girls, football. They didn't care at all, <laughs> at all, Joey, at all. So when the senior, the women's national team goes to compete in these tournaments or the world cup, you're playing against people who have, I mean, you, you, you get my point, right? Yeah. You, yeah. You're playing against nothing. And now in the past, and, and, and I kind of said all this stuff publicly since 2009, now you're starting to see not only the gap close, but other countries surpass us on the women's side simply because in the past 10 years, some countries have decided, oh, you know what, let's throw, let's throw the, our women a, a bone a little bit. Let's give them a little bit of resources. Let's maybe construct a league, you know, get jumpstart a league. Yeah. Girls should play some soccer. It's okay. You know, they're, they're more progressive in that manner. And in a matter of 10 years like this, the gap has been reduced to almost nothing. What is it? They just tied the Netherlands. When was it? Yesterday yeah. or two days ago or something like that? And they, yeah, beat, Vietnam, they beat Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam, Joey. They beat Vietnam 3-0 only. And from what I gather from some of the people that I actually trust to have decent eyeballs for soccer, they're saying, oh yeah, they play like crap in both those games. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't win the World Cup. They could still very well win the World Cup, but things have drastically changed. And I'm going to circle back to your point about the league stuff right now. Again, I tangentially came across this article or this tweet thread that kind of went viral relative to what American soccer virality is, where this guy is saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's because of our youth girl development. The league structure isn't how it is in the boys. They don't have the equivalent of MLS next. It's more disjointed, unlike the boys side. You've got it all wrong. I mean, that's how it was forever. And the women would trounce the world. So that clearly is not the issue necessarily. Does that make sense? They, they're completely learning yeah. the wrong lessons. The real lesson is the work that is done in our country because of how things are structured at the pro level without it being open is fucking shocking. Absolutely yeah. shocking, Joey. I think because it's it's a competition of leagues, Gary, right? Yeah, 100%. I think the in, the incentives of the clubs, like you mentioned, it's not 
the development of the teams and the players in the daily training environment. It's more what we see is we see these clubs, they acquire, right? Quantity, let's bring in quantity that gives us power. And then that puts us in a position to be accepted in these leagues. Because it seems like, you know, the leagues look at that, the quantity, how, how big is the club? How many players does the club have within it? And so from the club standpoint, their incentive is to work in that way. Can we take this small club and merge them in with us to give us more quantity? Can we find an affiliate club in another state? And so they're constantly looking to acquire, to be able to be in the league. And they're, they're, they're not ignoring, but they're giving little focus to, okay, what are we actually doing on the field? And then when it comes to, of course, winning is a topic. So, okay, but how do they win? Well, then that's what leads them to, again, short-term decision-making so that they, they have success in the short term. They pick the kids that are the most athletic players, which, you know, everybody's for the most part is doing that. So if you have the most athletic players, it gives you a good chance within our American soccer system to win. And so with those clubs, they have quantity, they have the most athletic kids, they're winning, they're seen as the best. Meanwhile, we're totally ignoring the individual development within the team context, developing good team players, being technically very smooth on the ball. By the time the defender comes to close you down, the pass has already been made. The defender has no chance to win the ball. Um, good, you know, collective sequences towards the opponent's goal. All of that stuff is being ignored within the setup that we have here. And I think that's probably why with the women's national team, while they've dominated, and you, I watched the game against Haiti, you don't see good team flowing sequences. You don't see the players just super clean and technical on the ball where it's just, it looks so easy and simple for them. You don't see that kind of stuff. They tend to get results a lot because of their athletic capacity. Yeah, and that, obviously, but obviously that's, becoming less and less of a competitive advantage because the other teams are doing those other things. Japan, probably the poster child on both the men and women's side. And on the men's side, Japan got better and better and better, but they hit kind of like a ceiling at the moment. Yeah, because obviously in the men's side of the equation, it's a lot different, right? With the Brazils, the Argentinas, the Frances, like everybody's doing all these sorts of things and, and are quite developed. But on the women's side, where those powerhouses never existed and the U.S. women's national team only relies or principally lies on athleticism, just like on the guy's side, all of a sudden, little old Japan comes along focusing on technique and brains, being able to understand how to play the game, what are the right decisions to make, when to make the right decisions, soccer IQ, Joey, right, for lack of a better term. And those two components in and of themselves have already closed the gap on the athleticism focus of the United States. It's going to come to a point, Joey, like things are going to be inverted and the women will end up approaching whatever the men's state of being is in the United States. And it's going to reach an equilibrium there. That is what I think if, if the rest of the world continues to pump resources and cares about the women's side of the equation. If they do, if they continue doing that, then women will drop and eventually settle into, 
whatever, eighth in the world, 10th in the world, 12th in the world, and perpetually be stuck there. It's going to happen, dude, but under that one condition. And if, and if the rest of the world kind of just sticks with the resources that they're currently allocating with the women, the gap will close even more, and they will, they will still kind of surpass the U.S. women's national team, but the women's national team will still be a contender, but never, ever is it going back to what it used to be. Yeah, I see it. I see it. And it's happening little by little, subtly over time. But yeah, and it, it's because of the, the system that we have here in this country and our focus on leagues and then the incentives that everybody operating within that competition of leagues has. And then that's how they're going about building their club, their teams, you know, player profiles, whatever it is. And it's put us in a position where, you know, on the men's side, we're clearly behind. We've been behind forever. And while some, they like to think that we're making progress, for me, I don't, I don't see that. And then on the women's side, where we've been at the top, little by little, everybody else is, is catching up with us. And at some point, if this all is going to change, yeah, the, the focus of what we think is important in American soccer, it has to change. It has to change. It's sad. And bringing and it I don't back blame, to- I don't blame the, I don't blame the coaches. I don't blame the players. Yep. It's, it's at the top, right? Yep. We, all of us underneath, we're just operating in this system. We have the incentives that we do. And it's very hard to not focus on the incentives that we've been given and to build something different. So yeah, I, I don't blame the people that are operating within it. Yeah, just to be clear and, and to wrap this all up in a bow, it's with what, that one word, incentives. And it's not like somebody at the top is coming, knocking on your door, Joey, or giving you a phone call or giving you a text saying, hey, Joey, you must do this. Or all of your colleagues or the directors of coaches or the guys who are running youth soccer clubs here in this country at any level, it's not like it's written down that this is what you must be doing. It's simply... yeah. The, the, you know, Adam Smith calls it in economics, calls it the invisible hand. Yeah. It's just the way things are structured, move you to behave in a certain way. It gives you certain incentives and human beings will align themselves by and far with the incentives that the invisible incentives that are provided for you. So what are the incentives of youth soccer in this country? Well, acquire as much paying customers as you can, because that is how you survive. Try not to lose paying customers because that is how you survive. Why is it a paying customer sort of thing? Because there's no promotion relegation. So the only way that to survive is not to have a professional team and not to get an influx of investment because you have a professional team. It's not to go up the levels of the professional team and have more revenue generated that way. No, since you don't have a professional team at the youth level, again, because he, there's no promotion relegation, where do we get a revenue from? Parents. And so the incentives trickle down from the business model of the youth club to the DOC, to its individual coaches. And if we zoom in on an individual coach, they all try to fulfill their incentives in different ways. There's different techniques to do it. Some will go the route of, I'm going to try to be the best fucking coach ever and try to make it clear, you know, in the way I communicate, in the way I run training sessions, in our win-loss record or whatever. And then parents, by virtue of seeing the amazing work, will want to stay. And then I have fulfilled, you know, my incentive. But what happens if you're new or you aren't that amazing coach quite yet? Or, or frankly speaking, you're just not cut out for it. Then what do you do? 
Then you resort to trying to maneuver your way with words one way or another. And even to the point, and I don't want to be too cynical here, but even to the point of lying to parents, frankly speaking, where it's like, oh yeah, like if your kid stayed here, then this is the vision that we have from. And you know, this is where, where he'll be in one year or two years or three years. And the coach knows that that is not true. Maybe the coach thinks that this kid's never going to make it. No fucking chance, right? That is what they really think. But they can't tell the parent, no, you know what? Johnny doesn't have it. You know, it's best you look for another club or, you know, let me help you find another situation or whatever. It's highly unlikely the coach is going to go down that route. It's more likely the coach is going to be like, oh, yeah, if Johnny keeps working hard, you know, I definitely see him progressing. He's got, there's something there that can be worked with. Give it time. Uh, here's another example of Adam over there who was in a similar situation. And then, you know what I mean? It, and it's a fucking lie. Or you're totally bending the truth because the incentive is to yeah. keep the customer. And so who ultimately suffers? The kid ultimately suffers, right? First off, the parent hears that. Whether they buy it or they don't is another story, but probably going to buy it in many circumstances. And then the kid suffers because maybe the kid should be somewhere else or should be mentored by someone else. So it's all based on incentives. And then you have the fucking media come in here and say, oh, fucking youth soccer is a disaster. And these coaches don't give a shit about the kids and all they care about is the money or whatever. But they don't zoom into the root cause. Absolutely, Gary. All right, but man, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Should we cut it there? Yeah, I think uh, maybe in closing, families, parents, if you're listening, hopefully you you sort of gain some insight into what you can look for to help your player on their path. It's not easy, I feel, for you. You know, for the players, be okay with suffering a little bit in your daily environment. Find a place where, yeah, it's not it's not just about the league. It's not about necessarily just winning. It's about where you are going to learn to actually play football. Good. That's all I've got, Gary. Good. And, there, and I don't want to be that horse here. Like, there's all kinds of techniques aside from lying <laughs> that coaches can do <laughs> or clubs can do. One, but one other technique that parents should be aware of is clubs will just institute a policy of, like, almost like no communication, kind of like raising the drawbridge and not having a very open door policy with respect to what's going on with the team, the club, or the uh, particular kid uh, scenario. I don't know if you've come across that, but certainly at the higher levels, Joey, yeah. at the, the quote unquote higher leagues or, or, or the clubs that happen in being the higher leagues, they will raise the drawbridge and kind of say, take it or leave it sort of yeah, thing either, yeah. either you behave either you behave and shut the fuck up uh or get out yeah sort of thing and that and that I, is the kind of tool that they use yeah i i think when let's say like you're at an mls academy or something the you as the coaching staff you you have the leverage right in that situation it's fully funded so you can go get any player you want when you're operating within the pay to play i find that I would much rather have the conversations to share what, what the thinking is, what the thought process is behind everything, include the family, you know, in terms of what you're thinking so that they feel more a part of it. And it just gives more of a little, you know, that sort of community feel where just keeping them out. Cause I, I feel like when you just keep them out, you know, they start to form their own ideas and thoughts of what's taking place and that could 
that could be bad. And then, you know, this parent talks to this parent with these ideas and thoughts that they formed in their head. And then it starts to spread across the team. And then you, as the coach, you start to lose control. Yeah. So for, no, for I, me, in my, in my opinion, I, I enjoy and I find it valuable to try to talk and just share, be honest with what's going on so that, you know, and if they, if they don't like it at that point, it's like, okay, then probably it's best that they're not a part of it, you know? No. And again, pros and cons of where do you, what environment do you want to be in? Also, do you want to be in the environment that you just described, Joey? And again, I'm not saying that all coaches are kind of being deceptive or manipulative. No, there's a, a lot of great coaches who want to have open discussions such as you described, especially the ones who are confident in their work and right. really and, and are really good and believe what it is that they're doing uh, and have a lot of experience. I find that those practitioners are, are they want to share. I yeah. want to, I want to teach you. So that's another filter for parents. If, if a coach or DOC or an organization wants to share and is super inviting, it's because they are totally secure in the work that they do. So that could be a good signal for parents to also filter out who's good versus who's bad. And so again, another thing to consider is at the high quote unquote higher level or higher leagues uh, or fully funded MLS Academy or something, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, they're going to be like, go fuck yourself. So now all of a sudden you are left alone, swimming in the void, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. What do they really think about my kid? Is it correct to stay here? Is it, like, you don't, you don't know anything, Joey, zero. Yeah. Zero guidance. So anyways, okay. I mean, there's just, we could go on for hours yeah, and hours. <laughs> Both. There's so much, man. There's so much. But we're, we're at the one hour mark here. Yeah, it's a good topic, dude. Um, any closing remarks? Where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, at Casio, C-A-S-C-I-O underscore S-G. On uh, Instagram, Joey underscore Casio. What's That's Twitter? Where I'm at. I don't think there's such a thing as, as Twitter. Oh, it's no longer Twitter, right? What is it? Just X now? <laughs> is that official? Yeah, that is official. It, a whole other topic to unpack the whole, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. let's not do it. Let's not do that. Well, that's for our next talk. <laughs> let me know when you want to reconnect again, okay? Yeah, man. I got to get through this week. Jamie, I'm single dad. Jamie's gone until the weekend. And then, yeah, man, maybe... Uh, on a Monday or Friday, we can uh, get together and, and meet up. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers, everyone, and keep building.